Well, we're in part two today of our new series called Prove It. Last week, I covered a lot of ground, so if you uh, missed that, I can't take up a lot of time today to, rec- to, to go back over that, but go to newlifecanton.com and watch that and catch up. But I do want to go over a little bit this illustration that I used with the four chairs. I'm going to be referring to it again today, so I want to kind of go over that so we're all on the same page. So I'm going to do a little quiz. 9.30 service, i got to tell you, they did pretty good. So those of you who were last, here last week... This is your chance, okay, right here. So in chair one, we have what? The seeker. That's right, the seeker. The seeker is someone, and by the way, these chairs, just for the folks who are here today that are new, these chairs represent every single person in the room. Every single one of us fit in one of these categories, one of these chairs. The seeker is the person who's yet to kind of buy into Christianity, to the Bible, but they know there's something more that's bigger than themselves, that's outside of themselves. They know there's a purpose there. There's a void there. Can I tell you that God has created you that way? We're glad you're here. And I know if you're like me that we've tried to fill that void with all kinds of destructive things, but the only thing that can fill that void that has been created there is the spirit of the living God. And we're glad that you're here today. So glad. So we have the seeker and then we have... The believer. The believer. The believer is someone who has given their heart to Christ. Uh, we may call it getting saved, being born again. They've, they've, they've come to Christ. They've, they couldn't be any more saved than they are in this chair right here. To go from here, from death to life, the, the price was heavy. And it was only through the blood of Jesus that we can pass from death unto life, that we can receive Christ. That's the only way. And he paid the price in full. We couldn't do anything to earn this chair. Now, from here to this chair, what is this chair? The servant. The servant. When you've taken up the mantle and said, you know what, it's not enough to just believe, but I want to begin discovering who I am in Christ and discovering my gifts and my talents and begin serving the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, then you move. Now, let me tell you, from here to here costs you nothing. From here to here will cost you something. (laughs) Got one yes out of it, the whole thing. This isn't popular preaching. You're not going to hear this very often. This will cost you something. There will be a sacrifice, but you're not alone in it. You're not isolated. You don't have to do it by yourself. You are in partnership, first of all, with the Holy Spirit, and you're in partnership with the church. We do this together to move to this service chair. And now from here, what's this chair? The mentor. Can I tell you that discipleship is not fully discipleship unless you're discipling others. It's not just about you. Jesus said in his great commission, go and make disciples, not just go and be a disciple. Go and make disciples. And that's what this chair is all about. My mom and dad watch, uh, uh, they watch our services online, and and my dad texted me and and was telling me about his journey, and he says, but your mom is looking for chair number five. (laughs) I thought that's powerful. Come on. I think we all need to be looking for the next place in God. By the way, this doesn't end here. There is a chair five and a six and a seven. You can't get deep enough. You can't go far enough in God. Somebody, come on, hallelujah. His riches and his mercy and his calling is deeper. We can never get there. And that's a good thing. 
That's a good thing. So I thought that was uh, pretty cool to share. At the end of my message last week, I mentioned that we have a gospel problem in America. We've basically removed the last two chairs from the gospel equation. We've, we've basically relegated the Christian life to believing in Jesus. Just believing. That's it. That's all, that's all there is to it. And the result is a watered-down, powerless version of the gospel. Now, let me tell you what that means to you in your personal life. If you have real problems, anybody? If you have real problems, if you have real temptations in your life, if you have real battles to fight, and if you have real people that need your help, this watered-down, powerless version of the gospel ain't going to get the job done. You're going to be disappointed and let down if you stay in that chair. That's what it means to you. Now, when you get saved, it's exciting, it's joyful, and it should be. But God designed you for more. God designed you to move and constantly be growing in him. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have also been called to be a disciple. That word disciple on the screen, it means, this is part of the meeting. It probably doesn't encapsulate everything. But one who is learning by practical experience. You can't just get this in church. You can't just get it in a classroom. Knowledge is a big part of it. But it's by practical experience, putting your hand to the plow, serving, getting your hands dirty, getting in the trenches and learning and even failing. But trying, but you're not alone in it. You're under someone who is already a little farther along than you, who is willing to sit in this chair and pull you and help you and walk through the process with you. Hallelujah. Salvation occurs in a moment. Discipleship takes a lifetime. And the gospel, I want you to hear me clearly. I want you to hear your pastor. The gospel includes all of it. The full gospel includes all of it. A powerful gospel. A life-changing gospel includes all of it. James 3.13 is our theme text for the series. James says, this is the brother of Jesus talking. He says, if you are wise, everybody say wise. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it. I love it. Prove it. That's our series. Prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. If you are wise this morning, prove it. Our subtitle today for this message is what does it mean to be wise? What does it mean to be wise? Father, I pray right now that your word would become alive, that it would become powerful, that it would become prophetic, that you would get me out of the way so that your word could go forth powerfully, that I would decrease so that you, Lord, could increase. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So, when I was probably, uh, I grew up in a subdivision, one of these big subdivisions down in Marietta off of Terra Mill Road behind Terra Mill Park. Anybody know where I'm at, East Cobb? You know where I'm at? Okay. It's, it's still there, still everything. I w- was there not too long ago. So I grew up in this subdivision. And, you know, back in the 80s, we just, we just went wild. We ran. We, we did everything, you know, ran around the whole subdivision, had a good time. Me and a friend would, would go... Uh, through this guy, this, this house's yard to a pond that was there and fish. Had a, had a great time. Well, this new guy moves in, 
new man. I guess he had a family. God, God help him. But anyway, he, he moves in, and we're a little older at this point. We're like 12, and, and, and we, we I'm, I'm not making this up. It's like we get over to the yard. We're going to walk through and go to the pond. It's like we put a toe on his yard, and it's like he had alarms set up in the dirt or something. It was, he busted out of the door. He must have been sitting watching. It's the only way. He busted out of the door screaming. Can't you read? I'm like, wow. And there was a sign that it said, stay out of my yard or whatever. And scared us to death. He's screaming. His face is red. I'm like, you're going to have a heart attack. But we're out of here. We're out of here. So we ran away. Fast forward a few years later. I think he yelled at my mom one time because he thought she was going to go on his yard. She was just walking. This guy was crazy. So anyway, fast forward. A few years later, I'm like 16, and I have some friends over. One of them was the same friend that was with me. So there's four of us. And, you know, we're late. It's late at night. We're bored. I'm like, I tell these guys about this, this guy. And one of my friends said, hey, let's go rolling. Let's roll it. And so, and by the way, if you're a teenager, just plug your ears for the next five minutes. So. Let's go rolling. So I'm like, yeah. So we walked to the house because it wasn't that far away. It was in the same subdivision. So we're walking. We go get the, we have all kinds of toilet paper. We're all carrying a bunch, you know. We go, and we just wear it out. I mean, it's beautiful. It looks like it snowed. (laughs) And so we're like, we get back to the house. We're high-fiving. We're like, And so somebody gets the bright idea, hey, we need to get a picture. Well, in 1988 or whenever it was, we didn't have phones that had cameras, so we, you know, we had to find a camera with film in it. And somehow we did. And so we walked back, and y'all, they were, his house was on the very end of a, of a long road with a cul-de-sac. So as we're walking along, we're all thinking that we wouldn't say it. It's dark. We're like, surely that's not the case. We're getting closer and closer, and we're like, where's the toilet paper? And, and nobody said it. We just kept walking. We're just looking at each other. We get closer and closer, and finally we get all the way up to the house. There's no toilet paper. Any Only an hour has gone by. This dude has cleaned up his yard at 3 in the morning in an hour, and suddenly we hear, I never saw him. I never laid eyes on him. We were running, and suddenly he screams out, Stop or I'm going to shoot you. And I'm running and I'm just waiting for my guts to explode (laughs) and die in in, in my own guts and and everything. And so I start swerving. I start running (laughs) like this. And the first yard that I came to had a a retaining wall. I I was like Bruce Willis or something. I like dove over this thing and rolled in my shoes. I had the old bass shoes that we didn't tie. Do you all remember those? Flew off. Totally flew off. I'm running behind people's homes. We all split up. I'm going through thorns and bushes. And by the time we get back to the house, we all get there and we're bloody, we're muddy, we're nasty. And we're like, well, my God. So listen, wisdom, I'm not quite sure what it is, but I know what it ain't. Don't go back to the scene of the crime with a camera. Woo, Lord. I'll never forget that. Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. <laughs> that wasn't it. It's so important. It's so important. It's the foundation 
to a long, successful, fulfilling life. Solomon, wisest man to have ever lived, according to the word, Solomon said, get wisdom. Get it. It's like it was a fumble or something, and you're diving on it. In the, you know, get it quick. Get wisdom. Okay, Solomon, how do, you, how do you get it? Are you born with it? Does it come through books and higher learning? Is it only for the really smart people with a high IQ? If that's the case, I'm in trouble. Anybody else? Come on. Nobody? Everybody, y'all are all just brilliant geniuses. Thank you. Making me feel a little better. Is wisdom just an age? Do you, can you only get it through experience? There's probably some truth to that in there. But can wisdom begin early in life? Can it be learned? Can it be increased? What does it mean to be wise? Jesus said in Matthew 7 that the wise man builds his house upon the what? The rock. Well, Jesus isn't just a rock. He is the rock. So I suggest this. Look at the screen. Developing wisdom isn't as much about how old you are as it is how willing you are to build your life upon Jesus Christ. Now, about four of you agree. That's all right. I'm going to continue to preach. I think wisdom is more than Merriam-Webster's dictionary definition that just says having good sense. I believe wisdom is closely tied, listen to me, to discipleship and spiritual growth. We looked at this scripture last week. I'm going to look at it again. Paul says in Colossians 2.6, And now, just as you accepted Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. He's talking about salvation in the first part. Just as you accepted him as your Lord, you can't stop there. You can't stop in chair two. You have to continue and follow him. I was sharing this scripture with some pastor friends of mine in a small group this week. We were talking about it, and most of us got kind of the same place. One of the pastors said something interesting. He said, what about that word just? And I don't have it highlighted because that's how late it was. And now just as you, he's saying in the same spirit, this is powerful, in the same spirit that you receive Christ with joy and gladness and excitement, you need to continue to follow him in that same spirit. Come on, somebody. That was powerful. This is a clear call to move past chair two. Then he says in verse seven, let your roots grow down, down into him and let your lives be built on him. He's echoing the words of Jesus in Matthew seven. Next slide. Then your faith. Paul's saying the result of building your life on Christ, the result of letting your roots grow down deep in him, the result is your faith will grow strong in the truth. What about this? In wisdom. What about what is truth? It's, it's part, wisdom's got to be part of that, right? Strong in the wisdom, strong in the truth you were taught. You were taught. And you will overflow. You will overflow with thankfulness. What does it mean to be wise? Now, I didn't put this on the screen, but you might want to write it down. It means growing in our faith so deep into Christ. Listen, listen. That his nature begins to overflow our life and affect the people around us. Come on. That is the ultimate purpose of discipleship. 
The power of the gospel, the power of the kingdom overflowing our lives to refresh and to restore and to heal the people that we love, that are around us. Discipleship isn't complete unless you are overflowing. So how does this happen? How can you and I live this overflowing? Does anybody want that? Does anybody want your Christianity to mean something to some people beside yourself? My God, I do. Well, Jesus teaches us about this, and as is often the case, he uses this thing called a parable, a story, a made-up story to connect with his audience. And that's what he does. If, you, if you're new to Christianity or have never even been to church much, you're going to recognize this parable. Mark chapter 4, verse 3. He says, listen. A farmer went out to plant some seed. Jesus is like, I know there's a lot of farmers out here, so this is going to connect. A farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it, he didn't have a machine, y'all. The farmer back then didn't have this giant machine that would be very precise and everything. He's just taking it and going, slinging it everywhere and slinging a lot of it because he knows a lot's going to be wasted. And he wants to make sure to have a crop. So he scatters it across this field. Some of the seed fell on the footpath and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil and the underlying rock, with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because of the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have what? Deep roots, it died. Verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so that they produced no grain. Still other seed fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop. That was 30, 60, even 100 times as much has been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear, he should listen and understand. In other words, he's saying, if you are wise, listen up. And don't just listen, but do what I'm saying. And then he goes away from the crowd. He takes his disciples and he explains the parable with just his disciples in verse 14. The farmer, who's the farmer? God, Jesus, okay? Jesus, the farmer, plants seed by taking God's word to others. Now, I want you to notice, everybody's getting the same word. Everybody's getting the same opportunity, the same seed. Everyone in here this morning, whether you're one, two, three, or four, you're getting the same opportunity, you're hearing the same word. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. Now, when the word goes out like it is this morning, or like it is with a friend who's telling you about Jesus, or whatever the situation, the devil will immediately try to steal that. Now, you're like, the devil? Yes, he's real. Now, it may not be the devil. He can only be in one place at a time. Don't give him too much glory. Don't give him too much credit. He's a created being. He can only be in one place at a time. There's 7 billion people on the planet. I doubt Beelzebub himself has come. Now, it feels like it sometimes. Amen. (laughs) But there's a hierarchy of demonic forces. And they have assignments. And guess who they get assigned to? People who are doing something for the kingdom. People who have received Christ, they could care less about the others. And so there are assignments. And so when the word comes, 
the first thing they want to do is steal it, is mess it up, is distort it. Because they know when you receive the word of God and receive it in, they are in trouble. If your heart is hard and resistant to God and his word, it makes the enemy's job a whole lot easier. I'm going to do something right now that I've never done before. I'm going to stop right here. And we're going to pray that God would soften our hearts right now. Bow your heads. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would soften every single person's heart in this room to the gospel, to the word that is going forth today. Make it soft. I'm especially praying, Lord, if there's people in the room that are seeking you, that have not yet committed to you, that you would, oh God, that you would soften their heart. And let them hear and receive the word going forth in Jesus' name. Amen. No matter what place we are in our walk with Christ, we need to make that prayer often. We need to be praying that we could hear the voice of God, that our heart would be soft to his word. It might be spoken through sermons, through the Bible, through other people, or maybe even dreams. Now, be careful with that one. You might have eaten too much pizza. Don't assign spiritual things to things that aren't. Be careful, but God does speak in many ways. And if you go seek somebody and and somebody that's farther along in their faith that you can trust, they might be able to help you with something that God's trying to speak to you, but you've got to be soft to it, to receive it. You've got to be soft in your spirit. And I didn't even say this in the earlier service. My daughter, Sarah, my middle daughter, she just seems to be so soft in her spirit. She gets dreams all the time. Anybody want to have some dreams from the Lord? I mean, be soft in your spirit to him, not to the world, not to the things of the world. Be grounded in the word. Hey, folks, if it doesn't line up with the word, it ain't God. There's other words coming at us, too. It has to line up with the word. And that's why we need some help sometimes. But the point is to remain soft. Don't let it be said of you that the enemy was able to easily come in and snatch away the promises of God in your life. Verse 16. We've got to move on. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. Since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems. They're persecuted for believing God's word. Folks, can I just be honest and tell you this is what keeps me up at night. We've had over 200 people come to Christ in 2018 to give their life to Jesus. We had, go ahead. We had almost 90 follow through and get baptized, but folks, If 200 come, I want 200 baptized. The statistics are alarming. If you stop in chair two, well, this may be the most important category that we talk about. This person that I'm talking about could experience a dramatic conversion. They receive Christ. They receive his mercy, his grace, his goodness. They are excited. They're excited about their faith. They're excited about the church. They're excited about their Bible. They're excited about everything that has to do with Christianity. They're going to take the world by storm for Jesus. Come on, somebody. Has anybody known somebody like that? Do you remember being that way? That's what Paul was saying. Just like that, you need to move to the next stage. 
But then that person all of a sudden falls off the face of the earth. I'm preaching just honestly. Listen, you, you don't, sometimes we never see him again. And then other times they show back up in two or three months and it looks like they've been in a physical fist fight. But it's their spirit coming. There's no joy. And you ask them, what in the world happened? I don't know. It just didn't work for me. It just didn't. Folks, Christianity is not an it. Christianity is not an it. Look at the screen. Christianity is an ongoing, life-altering, habit-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Christianity is not an it. It's a person. It's about a person. If you're here this morning, listen, oh my goodness, I want you to hear me. And you've recently given your heart to Christ. Praise the Lord for that. You've moved from death unto life, but you are in a vulnerable condition. If you disconnect now with the body of Christ, if you disconnect now with, uh, from worship and from prayer and from Bible study, if you disconnect now from people who want to help you, people who want to connect with you and move you along in the process, if you disconnect yourself from all of those things, you are making yourself open and vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. He's going to seek out those who are isolated and away because it makes his job much easier. It's vulnerable. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be alert, be sober. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking, he's seeking, he's active for someone to devour. Satan is not playing games, folks. His army is real. If, if, if you're looking for a pastor who thinks all of that is metaphorical, you can find him, but I'm not him. It's real. It's real. I've seen it. I've experienced it. And this is for real. But we don't have to be afraid of the devil. We don't have to be afraid of demons if we have Christ. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. But folks, you cannot disconnect from the body or you will die. You cannot disconnect from the vine, the living vine of Jesus or you will wither away. That's what Paul's saying. That's what Jesus is saying in this parable. My God. That's why we have all that stuff out there in the lobby. I'm just so almost embarrassed. There's so much stuff out there. The last thing you need is more stuff. This is not stuff. There's a lot of stuff that you don't need to sign up for that's out there that's just stuff, okay? But these are all things that will help you. I know you may not be able to sign up for all of it, but sign up for something. Get involved. Get attached in some form or fashion. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've already been down this road. And you were the one who blew away, who fell away. And thank God you're back because the fact that you're back is beating the odds. It's beating the odds. And thank God you are here. Let's not go down that road again. That decision is yours. Because guess what? Problems are going to come. This world is full of them. Verse 18, I got to move. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of life, the lure of wealth, and the desires for other things. Say other things. 
other things so no fruit is produced. Other things. What other things, Pastor? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Anything that would preoccupy you and divert you from your purpose in Christ is that thing that will distract you, that thing that you need to get out of your life, that thing that you need to get away from, that thing that can become an idol in your life that you place above God and will keep you in chair too, will keep you bound, will keep you from what God wants for you. The promises of God, anything. It can be, listen, wait, it can be a sinful thing. Yes, absolutely, it could be a sinful temptation, but more Often than not, it's simply succumbing to a crazy, mundane, routine schedule that we overdo and we, we, we get our kids involved in everything under the sun. We never have a minute with them. We never have a minute with God. Uh, we come in on Sunday we think that's going to do it, and it's not. And all those things. Now, I, I, feel, I feel the judgment. I feel the judgment. I have a daughter in... Travel soccer, I understand. You don't want to keep your kids out of everything. I get it. But there are some things that you need to say no to. There are some things that you need to explain to your children. We can't do all of it. Pick one. But I can't go to college. And, oh, come on. I can't get a scholarship. Can I just say, if we give God everything, if we go after him, do you think he'll not take care of those kind of things? Come on, do you think he'll not make a way where there is no way? That he'll not give us favor? That he'll not advance us in the areas that he wants? Maybe the best thing is not for you to get a scholarship in that thing. Oh my God, I'm preaching this morning. Maybe that's the last thing that needs to happen because it would cause you to be off into this group that you would be... Anyway. My Lord, where is that in the notes? I don't think that's there. It must be the Holy Ghost. All right. Can I just say that this, this area, this, this, this category affects all of us? Every single one. Doesn't matter what chair you sit in. Because you might be in this chair one day and you, you start doing all this other stuff and you're like, well, what's going to happen? What's happening? What's happening? You might be all the way back into chair two before you realize it because you just got too busy with life and you forgot about discipleship. You forgot about, and then one day you're like, holy cow, do I even believe in Jesus? I was supposed to be a little bit funny. Come on, we're, we're all, we've all, do I even believe in God? Where's my faith? What happened? I was doing all this. It can happen to any of us. Praise the Lord. Here's the point. Don't let the world dictate what is important to you. Amen. Don't let the world dictate what is important to you. The things in this world that say is most important are success and bigger and better and always more. It's, we're never satisfied. It's never enough. It's always got to be more. Don't let those things choke the life out of your faith. Come on. Hallelujah. I don't have to tell you what those things are in your life. You know exactly what they are. I know what they are in my life. Jesus has called us. Come on. Not popular. But Jesus has called us to make sacrifices in order to make an impact. Moving down this way will cost you something. But I'm telling you, and I said it last week, there is nothing greater than Leading someone to Christ and then walking with them day by day. Oh, we went back. That's all right. 
It's frustrating. It can be messy, but it is a glorious mess. It is a beautiful mess. And God has called us to run towards the mess, not away. God has called us towards people who are hurting and lost. And and just getting them in chair two is not going to do it. We've got to go all the way with them. And you've got to go all the way. There's a cost. All right, verse 20. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest. Anybody ready to produce something for the Lord? Produce a harvest. Notice this is the only time that Jesus says hear and accept. This person does more than listen. They actually put it into practice. They do something about it. And when we put our faith into practice, it becomes more than a religious exercise. Lord, I don't even like exercising. I don't want to do religious exercise. My goodness. Like a treadmill. I got to go to church. I got to go to prayer group. Come on, folks. Where's our joy? When we put our faith into practice, it becomes more than an exercise. It becomes more than a routine. The result is a faith that goes deep, deep, deep down into the foundation of God. And then our life begins to overflow. That well that's so deep. My God, I just got that. Woo, that'll preach over here too. That well that is so deep that when we dig down far enough, the well of the Holy Spirit will gush up out of our lives and begin to affect the people that are around us. Our children, our grandchildren, our friends, our co-workers. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Hallelujah. This is what James is talking about in our scripture. This is what it means when he says, if you are wise, prove it. Don't just listen, do it. Jesus sums up the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 24. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it, here comes our word, is wise. Folks, it's not rocket science. And thank God, because I'd be in trouble. Anybody else? Y'all are all rocket scientists, mathematicians, physics experts? No, it's not. It's not rocket science. We cannot just believe in Jesus. We have to do what he said. Big idea today. Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom is putting our faith into action. Wisdom is putting our faith. What does that mean, Pastor? What we believe about Jesus into practice. Amen. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. I'm closing. If you're a new believer here, continuing in this process of discipleship, at this stage, at this vulnerable condition and stage in your life, listen to me, it's the most important thing in your life. It's more important than any professional goal that you might have. It's more important than, than earning a bigger paycheck. It is so important that you pursue Jesus under someone who is helping you. I'm telling you, if you stall out in chair two, listen, and I promise I'm done. If you stall out in chair two, you're going to get bored with church because being a Christian was never about attending church. It's about learning to become the church. And guess what? I said it already. 
You have to learn how to do that. I have to learn how to do that. I'm still learning how to do that. You need a teacher. You need a mentor. I drive hours to go meet with men who are my mentors. I make sure I'm on mission trips with men who are my mentors to this day. I make sure that I'm meeting with those people who have sacrificed and poured into my life. We all need one. We all need people who are along the same place as us. Iron sharpens. That's what that means. And we need people that we are bringing along. We all need help in this thing. It can't be accomplished in isolation. Our faith is not private. It is collective. It is communal. It is horizontal. 